All right, we're going to close out Exodus chapters 39 and 40 tonight. Exodus chapters 39 and 40. It's been a long time since I've taught through these opening books of the Bible and uh, glad to get a second chance at it. And I know some people fear the book of Leviticus more than any other book in the Bible. I actually enjoy it, um, and we're going there next. And I enjoy it because it speaks so much of Christ, just as we've seen Christ so often in the book of Exodus. We also will see him uh, in the spirit of Christ, definitely there in the book of Leviticus with the priestly service and sacrifices that are highlighted in that book. But tonight we finish out Exodus 39 and 40. I entitled the entire message, The Shekinah Glory, but I entitled chapter 39, The Bells of Service. And I took that from verse 25, a key verse for me in this chapter, and they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around and between the pomegranates. So the bells of service, something that was on the priestly garments and the garment of the high priest, when he would go in and minister before the Lord in the tabernacle. Last week, we took three chapters to learn about the construction of the tabernacle and uh, chapters 36, 37, and 38, all about making everything pertaining to the tabernacle, the tent of worship, where the priest would serve the people there and the uh, furnishings of the temple itself, its courtyard and the sacrificial altar. And tonight we begin with the making of the priestly garments. And so God took a lot to set apart the tabernacle and the priest to serve at the tabernacle, to set them apart in the nation of Israel. And he actually gave the high priest this elaborate dress of the high priest. And it might be odd in our culture. I know there are some churches that are very accustomed to the pastors wearing robes, and the priest and the priestly attire here wearing robes. That was part of their culture, so it wasn't odd for that. But it was the attire that God required for Israel's high priest that set him apart from all others within his nation. So we read in verse 1, and I'm not going to read all the verses here because we've somewhat went through this. If you remember, uh, we already learned of the implements, the garments back in chapter 28, where Moses was on the mountain on Mount Sinai with the Lord, and the Lord gave him detail of the making of the tabernacle and the priestly garments. And we're getting that detail repeated for us again. So I'm not going to go into every verse, but we will make commentary on the different sections. And this one, talking about the high priest garment, verses 1 through 26, it begins by saying, Of the blue and purple and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place, and they made holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So that's a general statement. 
regarding Aaron as the high priest. And at this moment, four of his sons, four sons that became priests or were anointed as priests, so the four sons would minister in the holy place, but in the Holy of Holy, Aaron having the holy garments would enter that Holy of Holies once a year. And so we've already met the designer, Aholalib. He was a master engraver, designer, a weaver, and we learned about him in Exodus 38. And undoubtedly, this would have been his thing, making the priestly garments. And the head of the whole project of building the tabernacle and making sure the priestly garments were made. Bizael, the project leader, he was a master builder, but he was also a metalsmith, and we find that um, gold will be involved in the priestly garments. He was also a cutter of precious stones and a carver of wood, and he would be called to make some precious gemstones that would be part of the high priest attire to engrave into these stones the names of Israel and to set them in their settings there on the ephod and also with the breastplate of the high priest. So an overall description of Aaron's garments has already been given in Exodus 28 verses 1 through 35, but here it's repeated to let us know the not only the importance of these things, but that they were made in accordance to God's command that he had given to Moses there on that holy mountain. So the ephod, verses 2 through 7, it says, the ephod, Aaron's outer garment, in verse 2, he made an ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet thread and a fine linen thread, and they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in the blue and purple and scarlet and fine thread into artistic design. So Aaron's outer garment was made of the same blue, purple, scarlet thread, the fine woven linen that was part of the tabernacle, the inter inner curtains of the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle, as we'll see, when they put it together, had several layers, but the inner curtains of the tabernacle uh, were made of the same blue, purple, scarlet thread, the fine woven linen. One major dis difference here is the mention of the golden threads that were weaved into the ephod. And Moses explains in detail how the golden threads were made to beat them into thin sheets to cut them, and to work it into the, uh, with the other threads of blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen into this artistic design. This was a very beautiful, artistically designed garment that was joined together by two shoulder straps that were clasped with two onyx stones and held together by graded, braided chains of gold. The onyx stones were engraved with six of the names of Israel on one shoulder, six of the names of the tribes of Israel on the other shoulder. This way, Aaron always bore the nation of Israel upon his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord, as he ministered before the Lord. 
As God said in Exodus 28 and 12, you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. Then he made the breastplate. The breastplate was a breastplate of judgment. It was woven out of the same material used to make the ephod of blue, purple, gold, scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. And it was actually, uh, it was square in size. It tells us that it was actually in verse 8. And they make the breastplate artistically woven of the work of workmanship of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, thread of fine linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it. A span was its length and a span was its width when it was doubled. And so we find that a span, uh, believed to be the width of a man's hand or half a cubic, so the width of a man's hand uh, spanning about nine inches. A cubic believed to be about 18 inches. My elbow to tip of my finger is a little longer than 18 inches, but it really depends on the size of men you're talking about. You know, you got some real tall people, their arms will be very long and that cubit will be a bit longer. But the average there in Israel at that time, so believed to be about nine inch square that was on the chest. And it was a fabric that was actually double the length and so when it was folded over it formed a pouch and within the pouch he carried the uh, two stones that he would determine the will of God the Urim and the Thummim were there in the breastplate itself and the breastplate had 12 stones upon it and each of the stones each a different type of um, stone placed upon there with the, one of the names of Israel. And so he carried them over his heart as he ministered before the Lord. And once again, it was attached by golden rings that were wo woven into each corner. They were bound by braided chains of gold to ensure that the high priest would always bear the names of the tribes of Israel over his heart. So he had them on his shoulders, really speaking about the work that he did for the nation of Israel, but also over his heart to speak about what should be the love for the people of Israel as he ministered before the house of the Lord. And then that pouch carrying the Urim and the Thummim that God commanded in Exodus 28, verses 29 and 30, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over his heart as he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. So the Urim and the Thummim were used by the high priest to somehow determine God's will. And we looked at this when we studied Exodus 28. 
The Bible doesn't elaborate about these stones. And we don't know exactly how they worked, but the high priest was able to determine the will of God through these stones. And so the robe of the ephod, and so we have the ephod, the breastplate, the robe of the ephod, verses 22 through 26. Picking up in verse 22, he made the robe of the ephod of woman, woven work all of blue. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe, much like the opening of a coat of mail, with a woven binding all around the opening that it would not tear. And they made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet of fine linen. And they made, verse 25, bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around it between the pomegranates. And so it goes on to say, there'd be a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell to go around there. The robe of the ephod, it was all blue this time, but around its hem were pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet with golden bells in between them. Thus, Aaron's movements were always heard as he ministered before the Lord, both his coming and his going, Exodus 28:35 tells us that he may not die. You're not going to sneak up on God, I understand this, but it was, I think, also for the people themselves that they would hear the high priest when he was performing his duties there in the temple. We'll look at this a little further as I close out this chapter. But the bells were required, and both his coming and going, that he might not die, according to Exodus 28:35. They also made tunics and turbans for Aaron and his sons. They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons. So not only making the high priestly garments, but the garments for the priests as well, Aaron's sons, tunics for Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar as priests. And it's, uh, once again, it set them apart, and their garments set them apart there in the nation of Israel. I still have this vision back when I had long hair, I still remember coming out of the store one day with my hair down, kind of hanging down pretty long, and somebody coming into the store saying, is that my pastor? You wouldn't have probably known it, but yes, I was her pastor with my long hair, and nobody would know. And even to this day, even with my short hair, and just running around town, and they have no identification other than if you see my truck, you'll see that I love Jesus. But other than that, um, no identification that I'm a man of God. I don't wear a collar, as some religious circles do. But here in Israel, they had these garments. It sanctified them, Exodus 28:41. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons to anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them, that they might minister to me as priests. So they were garments, as we will see in chapter 40, that were actually anointed, the garments themselves, anointed with the holy anointing oil. 
And so even the garments were set apart. And I doubt any priest that may have some kind of priestly attire today that the garments themselves are set apart in this way, dedicated to the Lord. So this was really a special event for the children of Israel. Aaron's sons were also given tunics, sashes, and hats for glory and beauty, as we learned in Exodus 28:40. So they were really set apart by their attire. And so a holy crown, though, was given to Aaron. In verse 30, they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on the inscription like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. So the high priest, he had this turban, and along with the turban was attached, called the holy crown, this plate of pure gold that was engraved with the words, holiness to the Lord. So the high priest Aaron being set apart to walk in holiness before the children of Israel, in holiness before the Lord God. And the holy crown was first mentioned in Exodus 28 again when Moses was given the information about the priestly garments. It was to be worn over Aaron's foreheads, that forehead singular, that he might bear the iniquity of the holy things, Exodus 28, 34. So he's bearing Israel on his shoulders. He's bearing the judgments of God with the names of Israel over his heart. And now this holy crown, holiness before the Lord, to bear the iniquity of the holy things or the sacrifices of Israel, that these sacrifices might be accepted before the Lord. Thus Aaron became that mediator between God and the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. Aaron became that mediator between God and the children of Israel. And thus, verses 32 and 33, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tents of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, and the tent, and all its furnishings. So the chapter closes with the tabernacle makers setting the completed tabernacle. They're not erecting it at this point. They're just bringing all the parts, all the tent coverings of the tabernacle, its braces, um, its furnishings, all its gear that went along with it, and the holy anointing oil, the sweet incense that was to be burned there in the tabernacle, the priestly garments, and they were brought before Moses that he might inspect their work. And when Moses saw that they had made everything according to what the Lord had commanded him there on Mount Sinai, he blessed the people for their faithfulness and their diligent work. They did all that Moses had commanded them. And so Moses, in turn, blessed them, verses 42 and 43, According to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed, they had done it, as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. 
So it was a time of inspection. And Moses being that guy that was going to inspect the product, the material, the garments that were made, the furnishings of the tabernacle, and it was just as the Lord had commanded them. Pretty amazing thing. So regarding the bells that hung between the pomegranates on the high priestly, the robe of the ephod, remember it was solid blue with these pomegranates that hung on the bottom, that between each pomegranate, uh, tradition says hung 72 golden bells that the high priest would not enter the presence of God without the sound of these bells these bells of service they served a few purposes first when God met with the high priest above the mercy seat Exodus 36 as a king would sit on his throne there in the eastern culture of that day you did not enter the king's presence unannounced or uninvited such an intrusion could mean certain death we learn that in the accounts of esther when her uncle told her to go before your husband the king and she said he has not asked for me in in weeks and if i go before him i could die and esther's well Esther's, uh, Mordecai, Esther's uncle, actually, her parents had died, he raised her. Mordecai said, for such a time as this, for such a time as this, he said, if you don't speak up for the people, God will cause someone to raise up. But that was the custom, to come in uninvited could mean certain death. And it was in Exodus 28, 35 and it shall be upon Aaron and his ministers and it shall sound it sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die tradition teaches that when the high priest went into the holy of holies on the day of atonement once a year that they tied a rope around his ankle or around his waist that just in case he incurred the judgment of God and dropped dead in the Holy of Holies, who's going to go get him? Only the high priest could go in once a year that if they heard the bell stop, it's like, uh-oh, there's trouble here, or a clanging of bells suddenly hit the ground, that they would pull him out. I was wondering about this, and I've heard it in this account of the rope around the ankles, uh, so I went to gotquestions.org. I used that quite a bit. Some good guys and gals, I guess. I don't know whoever put all this together. But speaking of this, it says, if this tradition is true, it would be a powerful reminder of God's holiness and how we should praise Jesus for the direct ac access to God's throne that he provides. However, the Bible does not record such a practice. In fact, the Bible has specific instructions regarding what the high priest can and cannot wear, Exodus 28 and chapters 35, and it seems highly unlikely that God would allow this practice. I believe as time went on that there was a lot of highly unlikely things that were allowed as the people of Israel fell further and further away from the Lord. And so it is a possibility. 
But as the people, think about this, as the people heard the bells, they were to pray for the high priest as he ministered in the tabernacle. Think of um, Elizabeth and her husband, <laughs> having a brain freeze right now, get over in the book of Luke and I'll have it down, Zacharias. Think of Zacharias as he went in to minister before the Lord. He was there in the temple. And remember what the word says. It shall be upon Aaron when he ministers that it should be heard. And so um, Zacharias with these bells of service ministering before the people. It tells us in there in the gospel of Luke that the people knew that he was in there for a long time and that friends and family were waiting for him to come out. At that time, as the people heard the bells, they were to pray for the high priest as he ministered in the tabernacle before the Lord in their behalf. Uh, Psalm 89, 14, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. Countenance. Blessed are the people who know, know the joyful sound, perhaps the joyful sound, speaking about the priestly bells as he ministers before the Lord. There's another thing that can remind us of that we're not to be as ear-piercing gongs when we minister before others, but maybe like twinkling bells of service before for our Jesus bells of service that will attract people to Jesus as our high priest. Perhaps they will pray to receive him as the Lord and Savior of their life. So there are times that it's necessary to be forceful with the word of God when people are perhaps denouncing God, uh, saying some sacrilegious things, um, to correct them on the spot. A gal here many years ago told me, not part of our fellowship, just visited once, but told me that she had taken a Bible and blacked out every verse of scripture that she didn't agree with. And I flat out told her she was wrong for doing so, that she was blacking out the very word of God when just because you don't agree with it doesn't still doesn't mean it's not God's word. Uh, so there's times, there was a gentleman on the uh, front of the church the last time I saw him. He come around off and on for a while, and, and the last time I saw him, he was out on the uh, sidewalk in front of the church, and he said, you know, I've given Christianity a try. Now I'm going to become a Buddhist. And I said, go ahead, try it. It's not going to work for you. I said, there's no hope in there, you're walking away from the truth, and I just flat out tell them that you're wrong. I've never seen the gentleman again, but I didn't. It's like, oh, that's cool, be at peace, take off. And I said, no, you're wrong in doing this. Christ is the only way, but you will discover it or not. We can't force it. Sometimes we need to explain to people their, when they're going astray, that they might return to the Lord. James said in the book of James that some uh, we hold over the fire and others we bring them with grace. And so these bells of service, not to be a loud sounding gong 
but as we minister before the Lord, that people would know the joyful sound, that they might come to Jesus, that they might be saved. So chapter 40, coming to the very end of Exodus chapter 40. This has been about a year, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, longer than that, but for the children of Israel, almost a year now since they have left Egypt and the book of Exodus self-covering the life of Moses. And so we're about 81 years from the time of Moses' birth until this point of Exodus chapter 40. So Exodus 40, verse 35, the key verse for me, Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So preparing to begin the Arianic priesthood, verses 1 through 16, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Remember last week, we looked at the uh, tabernacle, Exodus 36 through 38, and we learned the dimensions of the tabernacle, 15 feet wide and uh, 45 feet long. And the Holy of Holies was... 15 by 15 where the mercy seat and ark of the covenant were kept in the holy of holies and the the remainder of that 30 feet by 15 feet the holy place where the priests would minister daily so on the first day of the month they were to set up the tabernacle nearly a year now had passed since they had fled from Egypt and the bondage of slavery there in Egypt on the 14th day of the first month. And so they're going to have the tabernacle set and ready to go for Passover that was coming up in the second year. And they would celebrate the new year by erecting the tabernacle on the first day of the first month of the second year. So one of the commentators said of this Bible knowledge commentary, since the people arrived at Sinai three months after the Exodus, and they were at Sinai eight and one-half months, part of that time, at least 80 days, Moses was on the mountain. So perhaps about six and one-half months were involved with gathering the materials and constructing the tabernacle. Those months were from about mid-September to late March. So God gives detail about the instructions of concerning the tabernacle, its furnishings, the Ark of the Testimony, the table of showbread, the menorah, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings, the bronze laver, and its surrounding courts. Moses was to anoint each item. Once again, the items are set apart for the service to the Lord. I've been to church dedications um, and I've never seen, you know, walking through the whole building, anointing, anointing all the ch chairs and anointing the pulpit. But I've seen the praying over the church building and dedicating it to the Lord, of course. But here they were anointing everything, the tabernacle, the furnishings of the tabernacle, the priestly garments and the priests themselves 
verses 15 and 16, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood, talking about the priest, throughout their generations. Thus Moses did according to all the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And so we find in verses 40, chapters, chapter 40, verses 1 through 16, really laying out all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the courtyard, the screens, and he set up the tabernacle, and he worked his way from the inside out, from the Holy of Holies, put in the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, hung the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies to the holy place, set up the table of showbread on the north side, put the 12 loaves on the table of showbread, the menorah on the south side, the uh, altar of incense there in front of the curtain before the Holy of Holies, and worked his way out from the tabernacle into the courtyard where the levir, where the priests were to wash, and the altar of burnt offering in front of that, the courtyard itself. Everything was to be anointed. So it came to pass on the first month of the second year, verse 17, on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised up. That had to be quite a sight. They've been working on it maybe up to six months, putting it all together, gathering the material for quite a while, and they had it completed, but it had not yet been erected yet. It had not yet been set up. And when they set it up, they set it up in, in the command of the Lord, positioned the tabernacle with the door facing to the east. Today, if there was a temple in Israel, its door would also face to the east. But it was in the center of the camp. Once the tent was erected and it was covered with all of his coverings, Moses working his way from the innermost interior, from the Holy of Holies, into the holy place, into the courtyard. And he hung the veil on the doors. He set up the bronze altar, verse 29, and offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering. And the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses, apparently, even when he set up the uh, altar of incense in the tabernacle, Moses burned incense on the altar. So he set up the bronze altar. Moses offered an offering, a burnt offering on the bronze altar. So apparently Moses, clearly serving as priest before he anointed, anointed Aaron and his sons, so he set up the bronze laver and put water into it. There were Aaron and his sons were to wash their hands and feet before they served before the Lord. So though it was like a big bathtub, it was not a bathtub. It was a ceremonial washing. Uh, they could take a bath at home, but before they served the Lord, they washed their feet, they washed their hands. They had to. Uh, it was a matter of a death if they did not. But he raised up the courtyard, he hung its screens and its gate on the east side. And verse 33 says, so Moses finished the work. He finished the work. Hebrews 3 verses 4 through 6 says, for every house is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. 
And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterwards. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast with confidence, and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. I just wanted to get that from Hebrews chapter 3, talking about somebody builds a house. Every house is built by someone. That's true to this day. God has made everything. Moses was indeed faithful, the author of Hebrews said, in his generation. He was faithful. He completed that which the Lord had called him to do. And Exodus 40, verse 33, he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, hung up the screens of the courtyard, so Moses finished the work. And so really the faithfulness of Moses and the children of Israel being seen, uh, the gifted artisans making all the things that pertain to the tabernacle and the priestly garments, bringing them to Moses, Moses inspecting them, seeing that the, it was a job well done, and then the setting up of the tabernacle itself. So Moses finished the work. Sometimes it's good to know the work that the Lord has called us to do. Sometimes we have a set period of time to get things done, to get things accomplished. Sometimes we don't know or have an end date. But to have a work to do, to raise up a tabernacle, to raise up a church, to build a, a church building, to see things accomplished, it is a very good thing indeed. And I believe that the Lord has a work for each of us to do. Sometimes it's a matter of discovering, and sometimes it, it takes a while. I had to write a resume for a class, actually a seminary that I'm applying for right now, sent it off today, so it's all happening real time right now for me. But I had to kind of tell my backstory in this resume and um, do a cover letter and everything and just really talk about me, which I told Lily, I, I have a hard time talking about me. And she says, what do you mean? You, you do it every Sunday in the, from the pulpit. I said, well, I'm using it as an example, so I'm going to use it as an example. I wrote one of the first paragraphs earlier paragraphs from the ages of 17 to 27 years old, I played in a Christian band called Contender. And so I wrote in this that for those years, I felt that I had found God's calling for my life. I thought I had my life's work to be a musician in a Christian band. I thought that we would become famous. We never did. Um, but in hindsight, I look back at that time and I see things differently. I'm still a musician. I can still use music to worship God and help lead other people into worship. But now as I look back at the ages of 17 to 27 years old, I see that the Lord was using that time as a time of preparation in my life. He was preparing me for a future work that he'd have me to do and uh, getting me in front of people, getting me in front of people to share Christ. 
when I began playing music at, well, technically at like nine years old, but became, uh, got my first bass guitar at 13 years old and playing uh, in my dad's church with my sisters. Uh, at 15, I remember doing that and playing bass in their, in what they, they called the reflections. We were part of a gospel quartet but um, doing all those things, a time of preparation that it was more about playing music. It got me speaking in front of people, introducing songs, sharing about Christ, and giving evangelical appeals at the concerts, and uh, seeing God do a work. Uh, one concert we played at, after the concert, I prayed with one person. And a week later, I discovered, uh, found out from the other bandmates that seven other people gave their heart to Jesus that night. I didn't even know about it. I was dealing with one person while the rest of the band was dealing with this other group of teens that was at the concert. So we were growing, we were learning, and God was putting a hunger in my life. But it wasn't the work that he would ultimately call me to. Once I got out of the band, it was a year of, for me, it was going to be a, a three-year time of waiting. And God called me within the first year, so I didn't have to wait three years. But in my mind, I said, Lord, I thought that this was it. Obviously, it's not. So what would you have me to do? And my prayer was, call me to ministry, or by the age of 30, I will assume that you would have me to be a Christian businessman and I'll start a company. And I've been running work since I was 23 years old for other contractors. And I thought, well, I could do it for myself, but Lord, call me first, or I'll go into business and I'll just be a Christian businessman. I'll support the church and ministry. And so he gave me that call when I was 28 years old got out of the band when I was 27, called to the ministry at 28. But there's still learning going on. I'm still learning to this day. But um, knowing the call gave me confidence and has always given me confidence in the work that the Lord has called me to do. So I've never doubted the call that God placed upon my heart. And in fact, at the age of 39, Right before I was called to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, I wasn't doing ministry. I was a foreman for a mason contractor who one day the boss, the owner, um, offered me dividends in the company. He wanted me to become a partner. And I said, Klaus, I can't. The Lord called me to preach, not to be in business. I said, you live to work. I work that me and my family might live, but this is not what the Lord has called me to be. That was in the fall. Um, and uh, that next spring, the availability, and I was talking with this church to become the pastor here. So it's good to know, sometimes we have to wait. It was 11 years from the time the Lord called me to preach until I became the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, but to move forward. 
And sometimes we seem like we get in these lulls. I've described it this way before, probably from the pulpit. I've said it personally to others that to me now, as I look back at it at the age of 28, the Lord showed me like a high distant mountain. That's what I want for you. That's what I intend for your life. See that way over there? Yeah, Lord, I see it. And then immediately, like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, I went down deep into valleys that I could no longer see the mountaintop anymore, no longer see the destination, but continually going forward toward it. So having that confidence in Christ, in our lives, that he calls us, each one, to whatever work he might call us to. Sometimes that's discovering. Sometimes it takes time to discover. But to be faithful, as Moses was, Hebrews 3, verse 5, faithful in all his house as a servant for the testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterwards. So the tabernacle now is erected, all the uh, furnishings are in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the, uh, at this point, the jar of manna, the Aaron's rod, we haven't read about that budding yet, but the jar of manna, the Ten Commandments would be there, the mercy seat over the top of it, the curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies. The altar of incense has incense burning on it. The menorah is lit. Moses lit the lamps. The table of showbread is there. And there was a sacrifice that was offered, a, a burnt offering there on the altar in the courtyard. And the work now being completed, verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God's Shekinah glory cloud descended upon the tabernacle and, and inside the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even enter the tabernacle any longer. And this same thing would happen when Solomon dedicated the temple. The priest had to get out of the temple because of the Shekinah glory cloud coming into the temple and filling the place. God's Shekinah glory was now at the center of their camp. Exodus 29, verses 43 through 46 says, And there I will meet with you, the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priest. I will dwell among the children of Israel. I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God was in their midst. When they sinned by making the golden calf, when Moses came down from the mountain and broke the Ten Commandments and God said, get out of my way, Moses, I'm going to destroy them all and I'll make a people of you, Moses. And Moses said, no, you can't do that. And then the Lord said, okay, he, I won't do that, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said, if you don't go, I'm not going. And here we find 
God is in the middle of their camp. The Shekinah glory cloud. And the cloud itself, in verse 38, it tells us it became fire by night. So the tabernacle in the center of the camp, and they arranged all the doors, all the different tribes. We'll learn about this largely in the book of Numbers and the setting up of the camp itself. But in the tribes, uh, three tribes on each side. So the Levites were surrounding the tabernacle. They camped around the tabernacle. And then you had three tribes to the east, three to the west, three to the north, three to the south. Some, by the numbers of the tribes, say that this forms a cross. We can look at that when we get to it and the numbering, because there was more to the south than to the north, possibly. But all their entryways were to face inward to the center of the camp. And so no matter when you got up in the morning, you went out, you saw the Shekinah glory cloud, you knew that Christ was there. When you, uh, God was there in the center of the camp. When you went to bed at night, you went into the tent and the fire was glowing there in the center of the camp, you knew that the Lord was there. And I don't know how well their tents were. I know the tents that we camp with at family camp if there's a Shekinah glory cloud fire burning out in the field, we're going to see it. Even if we're in the tents, it's not going to be blocked out. But the glory of the Lord was shining in their camp, whether day or night, a consistent reminder that God was in the center of their lives. And that's what he wants. He wants to be in the center of our lives daily as believers in Jesus Christ, that we would be led by Christ each and every day, and that we have this insurance that he is directing our lives by having him at the center of our lives, whether by day or whether by night, that Christ is there in the center of our lives. Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Exodus is the history of God's people during the year between their deliverance from Egypt and the erection of the tabernacle in this very last chapter there at Mount Sinai. And it, in this book of Exodus, we've seen some beautiful pictures of Christ Jesus himself. And the glory of Christ might live to be the light of holiness in our lives. The Lord God of Israel was with his people whom he had redeemed. He was guiding them toward the promised land. And today the Lord Jesus Christ is with those who he has redeemed with his own blood. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he has promised, Lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. And at this time, Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for us. And he said in John 14, 3, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will always be. And Lord Jesus, we await your return. So Father, we thank you for...
Lord, just uh, closing out the book of Exodus and the setting up of the tabernacle, the anointing of the, the priest to serve you there. And we'll learn more about that as we continue in the Old Testament and get into the book of Leviticus. But Lord, to know that for the nation of Israel, you were in the center of their camp, I pray, Lord Jesus, for us today as your church, you would be the center of our lives, that you would give us direction, and that you would guide us in our lives. And Lord Jesus, that we anticipate your coming again. We thank you, Lord, that you have gone into heaven with your Father, preparing a place for us. And when the time is perfect, Lord, you'll come again. And as the book of Revelation closes out, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. We pray, Lord, that for those, again, who are sick and infirmed, we ask, Lord, that you would be with them. We pray, Father, that you would be with those who may not know you as Savior, or those who have not been walking in faith, or maybe those who are just searching for that direction. I pray, Lord, that you would meet them where they're at and the very needs that they have. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and stand. Those who are listening on the radio tonight, maybe you're watching through social media and you have questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can find out information at our church's web page at cclv.org, cclv.org. We've done a lot of work around the church this year and uh, I, there's more I want to do, but I'm starting to watch the bank account now. And Kevin's starting to tell me, slow down, John, slow down. So there's a lot that we'd like to do. Um, but in my heart, just preparing this place for the next generation of worshipers, if the Lord should so tarry. And so we appreciate the support of those who have supported this ministry. This coming Sunday, I'm teaching a message on freedom, and I'm going to take it from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And uh, Jesus, in his first reading there in the synagogue in Nazareth, and we're going to talk about freedom, and I'm going to try to relate it to our country, remembering the 4th of July, but ultimately we know that true freedom is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.